Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today, I'm talking with Hunt Parr about living and working in New York City through COVID-19. Hunt was raised in Petersburg and still returns multiple times a year. He grew up dancing with Mindy Anderson and took flight at the age of 16 years old to attend the Idlewild Arts Academy to study dance eight hours a day, six days a week. From there, Hunt received a scholarship to the Titch School of the Arts at New York University. Then Hunt went on to dance professionally internationally. After about a decade, he began to move toward his teaching practice full time. He is currently a yoga teacher and movement artist. Thank you for being on the show today, Hunt. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be here with you. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. So, Tell us where you're calling in from now. Where are you currently living? So I'm currently in uh, Brooklyn, in South Brooklyn, in a really beautiful um, and old historic neighborhood called Park Slope. It has a lot of big, uh, beautiful brownstone buildings and um, is nestled up next to Prospect Park, which is the largest park in Brooklyn, and which was also a total lifesaver um, during COVID because it gave me access to things like nature and the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Which are hard to come by in New York. I've been there. Yeah. Um, so is this, that's where you were living in March, in February and March, then also in the same place? Yes, I've lived in this neighborhood for just about nine years now and oh, wow. in New York City since uh, 2005. Okay. Can you tell us what stood out to you about the shutdown and reopening in New York City? Like, what do you remember the most about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I would have to even zoom back a little bit further towards um, hearing the initial reports of COVID arising in Wuhan, China, and sort of noticing some of the national coverage that was coming up from that. And thinking to myself, I wonder if that's going to affect my life in some way. Like I actually remember very clearly having that thought when I first came uh, across that, that headline or that information. And then uh, in March, as things began to accelerate quite quickly, like everyone was sort of concerned, right? And like, so we began to up things like, okay, let's start washing hands and like rem make sure we're not panicking. Uh, maybe be a little bit more mindful, like how we're riding the train. Um, all of my classes, I immediately stopped using my hands or touching anyone. Um, and we were uh, using Clorox wipes and wiping down the mats and all of those kinds of things before, just like extra, extra precautions. And, and then I believe it was like March 12th, I got an email uh, saying that one of the gyms that I teach at was closing. Um, and they were like, we anticipate closing at least a month <laughs> or four weeks. And it was just like that week, it was like a flurry of emails, places being like, we're going to try to close. We're going to close. We think it's the right thing to do. And I went from being full-time employed, uh, full-time, meaning I had more work than I needed. I'm an independent contractor in most cases, so I'm technically self-employed. But I went from a very, very busy schedule to everything closed in like 48 hours. And we all thought, oh, this isn't going to be long, you know, and now here we are um, almost to October and 
uh, we're still not allowed to teach indoor fitness classes or group fitness classes and yoga studios are still not open. Gyms are open, but they are not allowed to have group fitness. So I think one of the things that um, really stood out for me was how quickly this accelerated, how long that it's lasted and how everyone had to very quickly figure out how to move forward with a reality that was just sort of sprung on them. And also as the, the world continues to change, like there's been a mass closure of yoga studios in, in New York City. A lot of places have closed permanently and will not open again. And so we're sh seeing a huge shift in the entire business model for uh, both students and teachers. So that was probably the most profound thing, how fast things changed and how now they've changed permanently. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and they're not going to reopen because they just, it's cost them their business essentially. Right. The business, well, like, so they were expected to pay rent during all of that. Like their, the rent was never canceled, right? They, they put a hold on evictions for residents, like residential buildings, but like, you know, a lot of these yoga studios are anywhere between like eight to $20,000 of monthly rent, depending on how big they are and how fancy they are. And, um, it, it's very hard to keep a yoga studio open anyways. Um, it depends on a lot of people's generosity to make studios run, uh, usually the teachers. And so with no or very little income, I think that some of them tried to shift online very fast some of them successfully, some of them not. Um, there's, they were just hemorrhaging money. Yeah. So they, they tried their best. You know, they applied for different loans that were offered, but just with the overhead expense of New York being so high, it, it's so hard. So unless they had a lot of financial cushioning or very, very reasonable landlords, a lot of places have shuttered permanently. Oh, that's so sad. That is one thing I remember about New York walking around when I went with my son a couple of years ago is every once in a while you'd come across like a totally glass place and it, and everybody was in there doing yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, a lot of people and myself included had sort of felt like the studio model was a bit antiquated now and it needed to change. And this was definitely the, the tipping point for that. So um, it's not the end of the yoga studio, right? Like the, this will not be a forever situation and eventually we'll be able to practice together, but hopefully with some changes that are positive and beneficial for everyone. Yes. This is a more personal question. Um, were people in your life personally affected by the disease? People, you know, in New York? Yeah. I mean, peripherally, I've, I've seen a lot of um, like extended family. There's been deaths, there's been illness, you know, affected by that. Luckily, no one too directly close to me has, um, has uh, had serious issues. I've known quite a few people that have contracted COVID and lost their sense of smell or taste or were quite sick for a while, but have since all recovered. But in, in the sense of changing their business and changing the things that they had been doing for a very long time, pretty much everyone I know has been affected in that sense. So uh, personally, I was very fortunate. I haven't had anyone too close to me become seriously ill or, um, or anything like that, but um, lots of people peripherally and also in terms of changing their work, work lives permanently 
Absolutely. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your practice um, prior to the shutdown. So prior to the shutdown, um, my teaching practice was a pretty large mix of a different, a lot of different things. Uh, predominantly, I work in private practice. I teach people one-to-one in their homes. Um, my website, Hunpar Yoga, is actually specifically tailored towards uh, private practice, and it's huntparyoga.com if people want to check it out. But so people reach out to me, they say, hey, like these issues are arising. I've heard yoga and meditation might be useful in my life uh, to address whatever those issues are. We have a conversation and decide if it's working together and um, if working together is a, is a good solution and end up scheduling uh, one-to-one sessions. A lot of people work with me multiple times a week and uh, we develop a, a program for them that addresses whatever is coming up, whether it's stress, anxiety, pain in the body, range of motion issues. Like I can work in a lot of therapeutic practices and also just um, exercise and also just mindfulness. So there's a lot of different arenas that I can draw from uh, when I'm working from folks. folks. I'm actually back at NYU teaching part-time. I teach three classes a week for them at the Center for Global Spiritual Life. So it's fun to be back at my university where I got my undergraduate degree teaching. Uh, and then I have a, a, a couple different uh, yoga studios that I had been working at. Um, one of them has closed permanently. So that that was one um, loss from COVID. It just was, there was no way they were able to um, continue to pay the rent without having students in there. Another one that is still hanging on here in Brooklyn has shift all on, shifted all online. And, um, and then I was teaching at a major gym called Chelsea Piers, which has since reopened, but as I mentioned, um, isn't allowed to have indoor classes yet. So it was a nice mix of teaching private practice. I have um, all kinds of interesting clients. I've taught, um, you know, financial advisors, Wall Street moguls, uh, celebrities in a couple different capacities. Uh, I teach corporately. I've done gigs for organizations like BuzzFeed, um, History Channel, Animal Planet, all kinds of different things. And, um, and I work with a lot of people in therapeutic ways. I have an older person who has uh, dementia and a speech disorder that I work with multiple times a week. Uh, I've worked with people that have cerebral palsy and kind of more therapeutic sense. So it's really kind of a beautiful um, thing, private practice. It really draws on a lot of different skill sets and you have to be creative in um, finding ways to help folks. And um, that was probably the majority of my work pre-COVID. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Life, life was not boring. <laughs> it was oh. quite busy. Yeah. Yeah. So how has COVID-19 mitigation efforts affected your business and career? Um, how have you had to adapt? Everything, yeah, every, everything changed. Everything changed. So like, as I mentioned, like March 12th or 16th, whatever that date was, um, I put my entire business online, um, online in like 24 hours. Um, I was luckily familiar with Zoom before it, you know, it was like the most popular word in America and um, had been using it in a couple different capacities. And like my university classes went online. Uh, all of my group classes went online. 
Um, I live in a three bedroom here and I have two housemates and they had both left the city. So I was suddenly alone for five months, which was really interesting. I handled all of March, all of April and all of May and half of, excuse me, half of June uh, alone by myself. And so like, I kind of, um, had this whole apartment as a yoga studio. I moved all of my furniture around. I pushed the couch out of the way and it's still like that. And I turned my living room into a home studio and I started teaching 15 classes a week online. Um, A lot of my private clients hung on for a while. I think they started experiencing Zoom fatigue a little bit. And so we're kind of tipping back into that now. Although I have uh, resumed seeing some of my private practice in person now that we're kind of out of phase four reopening and like uh, personal training is allowed. So, you know, we do high safety, we open all the windows, I mask, they mask, I wash my hands before, I only touch when necessary, but it's so beautiful to at least be back in the same space with people. And some of my like more complex private practice cases I couldn't work online with, like it was necessary for me to be in the same room as them because I have to use my hands to manipulate. But it's a whole new world now. being able to teach online has removed this sort of third person in the equation. It's just students paying me directly. So it's actually a much better business model. And like a lot of the amount of generosity that I have received, like I've been, all of my classes have been donation because I know people have been greatly affected by uh, COVID and their incomes have varied. So I've just given like all of my online classes, I've given suggested donation of $20 and I just say, pay less if you if things are tight if you're able pay more and i've had people pay me $100 a class more than that i've had people pay me $5 a class and so it really feels like it's um it's an offering for the community but i've been also very um felt very supported and just so humbled by the amount of generosity that people have have um shown taking these online classes and you know three classes a week minimum uh, I w- at one point was teaching four uh, self-produced online classes since March. Like we we're talking like, you know, hundred classes now or more, and it's been really beautiful to watch it grow. So yeah, switched everything online. Uh, I'm working on launching an online yoga teacher training right now. Uh, the certifying body is going to let us train new yoga teachers online. Um, and that's a brand new thing. So I'm able to reach my students in Alaska students all over the world, students um, all over New York, and working online has really kind of opened up a lot of possibility. And I'm still sort of figuring out what exactly that means, but I can't imagine going back to not doing this in some capacity. So I feel like there's a lot of different pieces all kind of falling into place. And we don't know what's going to happen in this fall, uh, the fall period now, if there's going to be a second wave as the flu starts coming into. So I think we're all kind of bracing ourselves trying to take advantage of being able to work in person to the best of our ability. And then also trying to bolster, bolster our online practices as much as possible. Um, You know, there was a lot, I was able to collect a little bit of unemployment support uh, because I'm a, a employee at a few of the places I work, but it took maybe three months until I actually, like it was, there was, I don't know, 40 or 50 or 60,000 people all applied in like 24 hours. And it actually took months until I was able to even receive any aid. So we're all sort of, it's just this big swirling vortex of who knows what's going to happen next. Um, and, and we'll see. Wow. I think that that's pretty exciting. 
about the the teachers being allowed being able to teach the teachers online because I I know people here locally have struggled with that you know there's so many hours that you have to have before you can be a teacher that's really exciting to hear they're going to allow that yeah I have multiple people in Petersburg who are ready to sign up um if anyone's interested let me know if they want to become a yoga teacher and be hand trained by me it's 200 hours uh plus special guests but It's, yeah, we're going to be able to work online and I'm going to have some in-person components. Like when I'm up in town, I'll say like, let's work together when we're all comfortable and and feel good about it. But yeah, it it has really opened so much potential reaching people all over the world. And, um, and it's been um, really interesting for business and how to build a practice that still feels aligned with my values, but also um, um, open to anyone. Nice. I'm going to take a little break here just to identify. Um, This is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. And I'm Kari Peterson. And today I'm talking with Hunt Parr about COVID's effects on life, business, and his career. How do you feel about those adaptions you were talking about? You know, how you you pivoted to, to switching everything online. What do you want to keep long, long term and why? Because I hear I heard you say that, you know, you don't you don't see some of this going back. You will always keep a component of this moving forward. Absolutely. Like something that was kind of interesting that I think COVID did was it made a lot of people do things that they probably had been planning to do for a long time that they had been putting off. So like I had sort of known that me teaching group classes like over 10, 15 times a week, it wasn't going to be sustainable forever. Like it's so energy intensive. It's me traveling all over the city. And, um, I had been really planning to step into the online space powerfully anyways, and had received a lot of business coaching and been kind of like working towards like, what do I want my online presence to be? And then boom, all the shutdowns happened. And I was like, well, here we go. Like, here's the literally do not have any other option. Um, except to try and build a business online. So yeah, like I was sort of mentioning before, the ability to connect to people all over the world has been so special and to actually really feel like it's a community and and building a community of people interested in, in coming back and working together through the language of these contemplative practices, specifically yoga and meditation. Um, Looking on how to, um, train teachers online, like I had mentioned, and creating a platform for education that um, is going to continue to grow. Um, I won't, uh, I'll tease a little bit, but starting October 1st, I'm going to be launching a whole digital studio online, and I'll have much more information about that. But um, I have an idea for an online space that sort of meshes um, ways to deal with the world today. Um, I'm, I'm really interested and active in, um, having social justice conversations and making sure that our practices are moving out into the world and also, um, receiving or being received by people who could really benefit them the most. So I, I see online studio spaces as this sort of new hub of like creative process and, uh, continuing scholarship and education and um, 
community action and really kind of like reaching out and taking these skills that we can amass as mindfulness practitioners and like moving them out into the world. So I'm working really hard on that. That's kind of like taking a lot of my downtime energy, but I'd, I'd like to really build that into a big full space for folks. And yeah, like slowly seeing what happens with the in-person work that I was doing. Um, I imagine I'll go back to teaching private practice predominantly in person uh, because I get a lot of enjoyment from that. And um, it's a really good business. Uh, but I've also begun to see clients like in California um, who obviously I can't teach in person, but like we've had a really great one-to-one teaching relationship already. So there's so much possibility. It feels really rich with um, different ways to engage with the world now. And uh, I guess my biggest sort of caution or concern is um, if we'll fatigue with online learning and using online practices and you know, nothing is ever going to replace the in-person dynamic. Like we're human, we're social creatures. We want to connect with each other. That's just part of our nature. So I'm curious how much this online world, like we'll start, like, like I can speak to, I've seen my online group class attendance definitely quiet down since March. That could be because it was the summer and then it went into school and that's a whole you know, show right now, no one knows what to do with public education, really in any capacity, like it's all just like, well, who knows what's going to happen. So I I think a lot of my students that have parents or that have children are sort of taxed and at their breaking point really (laughs) right now, trying to to teach from home. And I feel so my heart goes out to them. Um, You know, they didn't sign up for that. Well, none of us really did. But So yeah, like I'm interested if it picks up again, as things sort of stabilize or like when studios open again, if people go back, there's a lot of conversations now, like, is it even worth the risk to go back into a yoga studio where everyone's masked and everyone like, what's the risk versus reward of doing that? So those are all questions that are like to be determined. Nobody really knows. Yeah. And so, um, so what are you most looking forward to? the return of? Um, Like, you know, I I took a lot of passion with socializing on the weekends. I have a really dynamic network of both friends and colleagues, and I miss seeing them in person and um, having, you know, fantastic discussions and sitting in a coffee shop or having a glass of wine together. And just like that interpersonal um, socialization is um, definitely not the same. And, you know, we've, I've been socializing again, but still so cautiously, especially since some of my private clients have very suppressed immune systems and are very, very high risk. I have to just be so mindful of like, I've never been so mindful of like where I put my hands in my life, just like hyper aware of everything you touch, um, and sanitizing and washing afterwards. So like, yeah, some normalization of being able to socialize or going into um, to see theater and to see dance and to see music. I have a lot of friends on Broadway and they have no reopening date and no idea when that will possibly reopen. Maybe the current forecast is sometime next year. So they have no idea, you know, and, and those are people who have dedicated their life to theater and dance and have no idea if or when they will work again. So like being able to go into cultural institutions is a huge part of my life here. 
um, socializing, I, I really look back or look forward to, um, to feeling some amount of normalization, right? As we get into the colder months, I feel like it might be more challenging, but we've done the best we could so far. You know, everything is out outdoors. Actually, September 30th, New York is allowing indoor dining to resume at 30% capacity. Um, I haven't decided how I feel about that yet. I probably won't be marching into a restaurant anytime soon. It's again, it's just like risk versus reward, right? Like we're all, we all want to normalize our lives, but it's like, if sitting outside a little bit distance from people is going to potentially save a life, like I'll do whatever I need. Like it's, that's not a big deal to me. And, um, you know, masking culture is so huge here. Like 90 per, 90 to 95% of people were wearing masks all the time in public. So I've been very impressed. And, and that's why New York's transmissions rate is one of the best in the country. We went from the nexus of the pandemic to literally one of the best places with below a 1% transmission rate. And there's only four or five states currently with that low. So we definitely like, you know, New Yorkers are pretty tough. Um, so we all shut ourselves up. You have to imagine too, like during the height of COVID, we don't have backyards, you know, or like yeah. cars. We were, most of us were stuck in concrete boxes for months. Um, so it, it's like, you know, I, your, again. your shutdown was way your shutdown was longer than ours yeah i mean march april may and then oh goodness i don't remember when we began phase one but we had a four phase reopening but for a good three three and a half months we were on total shutdown like i did not ride the subway the, i went out to buy groceries and i came back and i walked in Prospect Park every day, which I mentioned before, just so I could get out and like, but like literally would walk to the other side of the street if I saw someone coming, like, because none of us really knew what was going on. Um, and if you watched any of the mainstream media, like not to be morbid, but they were talking about like bringing in freezer vans to hold the overflow of bodies, like really just heartbreaking images. It hit hard and fast in New York City and none of us knew what we were dealing with. And it just like, I have so many friends that are doctors and nurses here in the city and listening to their stories of the pandemic and how they were navigating that and working and like 20 layers of PPE, which we didn't even have enough of here. Um, and we just had no idea of how serious it, how fast it would, it would hit. Um, and so we all just isolated we shut down, stayed inside. And like, I think, there's kind of a, an expression bouncing around when you're speaking to someone about COVID, you can tell if they were in New York City during March and April or not. Because if you speak to someone who was here during that time, like I was, the level of seriousness that we take this with is completely different than someone who has had no experience like that. Because it was terrifying. It was terrifying. Like I literally walked, I live right next to a hospital. I walked by vans, you know, filled with an overflow of people who had passed from COVID and it was horrible. It was heartbreaking and horrible. So we listened to instructions. We all masked, we all washed and we all stayed inside. And so like that, I think that fear or that awareness of how bad it can get is, is um, still lingering in the hearts and minds of New Yorkers. And so we're very, slowly kind of opening back up to some sense of normalization. And I felt like, you know, 
obviously Petersburg, Alaska is a very different place than New York City, but like I know the level of seriousness people are taking it is very different there than it is here. And so like it was, if I could like instill one thing is like, no one is immune to that, even if it's a very isolated small town and it's very easy to feel like, oh, that couldn't happen here. But like the, with the speed and intensity that it happened in New York City, like any ounce of prevention is so worth it. And there, there's kind of a, a good expression, like if you over, if you prepared adequately for this, it'll feel like you overreacted. And I think that's kind of a good thing to hold in mind. So like, you know, these kind of like mass debates and these kinds of things, I'm like, it's a very simple ask to potentially save a life. And if you want to see how bad it can get, like, look at images of New York City in March and April, or give me a phone call, and I can tell you how intense it can be. And we know a lot more now, obviously, like we have more information. And and hopefully that won't be a, a lived experience again. But um, yeah, an ounce of prevention, seriously, it's it's so easy like the three asks, maintain distance, wear a mask and wash your hands. And, and it's literally like we're, we're doing so well now and knock on wood, you know, like that, that <laughs> remains as we move into the fall, but it's been a journey. Let's summarize it with that. It's been quite a journey. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us today. I, I was so delighted to see you on that, um, online class, the mindfulness that I believe the hospital put out to the community. And there's quite a few people in that class. Yeah, and it's, it's been so wonderful. The hospital and, and Petersburg Mental Health too. I want to give them a shout out. They um, co-sponsored it. Well, thank you. And I'm glad to see you're safe and that you were able to um, adapt your business and, and career. And it's, it's always a delight to see you. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. And that was Hunt Parr talking about COVID's effects on life, business, and a career. Thank you to KFSK and the Friends of Petersburg Libraries for making today's show possible.